Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and I'm so happy to be sharing this interview with Emily Prentice with you today on creativity as birthright and magic and art and all of the good things. This is basically my dream conversation. (laughs) Um... When I think about it, I think that what I have been healing towards, healing into for years, is more of making my art my creative work, and supporting people's creativity as well has been a beautiful evolution of my work. Emily has the most gorgeous and inspiring approach to play and making art and it's just deeply resonant. I wanted to draw a couple of threads here, connect a couple of threads around creativity and healing. To me, healing itself is a creative practice and a creative process, and I also think that healing can help us access deeper connection to our creativity to our authentic expression, to our desires, to our curiosity, and that's kind of what I mean when I say I've been healing towards more of my creativity and making my art, and not that I would want to anyways, but I don't think that I can have a podcast that's about healing without talking about creativity. So a little bit about Emily. Emily is an artist and arts educator living in West Virginia, Calicus, and Massawomack land. Emily's work focuses on creative play as resilience, as resistance, as radical joy, and she facilitates Playground, which is an online art school for kids and adults where she teaches art without grades, history without Eurocentrism, and curiosity without limits. Yes, Emily is amazing. That's right. I agree. <laughs> so what we talk about in this episode, we get into, of course, Emily's journey with creativity and art. Everyone is an artist, and there's no such thing as bad art. One of my favorite things to talk about, how creativity helps us change the world. What's an artist? Dismantling creative binaries and hierarchies, orienting towards process rather than outcome, art as helping us live better, relationships with creativity, play as resistance and as a radical act, magic and art, how to reconnect to play, cultivating curiosity, the fool card, bringing magic to the mundane, and making art accessible and telling artist stories. I have one very exciting announcement to share before we get into this interview. The Creative Support membership is open. It's here. Many of you may know that I worked last year with clients one-on-one to support their creativity and visibility, and it's my favorite work that I've ever done. So I wanted to find a way to make that work a bit more financially accessible and to bring in a community aspect, and it's here. The Creative Support Membership is a group container to help you liberate your creativity, make your stuff, and share it with the world. So it's creative and visibility support for witchy humans, witchy creatives, and I really am making it and love this work because I know sharing something from your heart with the world can feel really scary, it can be really hard, and we are all brave enough to do it, and I think the world needs all of our work, all of our unique expressions, all of our creative endeavors, and so this experience, this container is here to help you make that work and to share it, whatever that work is, you know. Um, I'm specifically saying stuff (laughs) rather than art, even though I think anything can be art, um, but I think stuff might feel a bit more inclusive for folks who aren't sure if what they're making is art, but yeah, books, poetry, plays, music, podcasts, 
um, creative expression in all its many forms. So if you are scared of how your creative work will be received, if getting vulnerable and sharing it feels really tight, um, if maybe you feel frustrated with your creative process and disconnected from your creativity, if you keep finding reasons not to make your work and really struggle to show up for the process, or if you feel like a fraud, like you're not good enough, like you shouldn't be the one to do this work, or you have a really strong desire to create your work but you're scared and you're judging yourself or you're afraid of other people's judgments, um, this is really a space for you. In the creative support membership, we are making possible envisioning towards more integrated and nourishing and sustainable relationship with your creativity, with letting your creativity flow more freely without worrying about other people judging you, like people you went to high school with who still follow you on Instagram, or maybe that's just me. <laughs> um, yeah, making possible deeper trust in your unique creative cycles and process and freely sharing your authentic expression from a place of rootedness in you and who you are and especially having tools to support you when fear and imposter syndrome and shame even creep back in so you can keep showing up for the work that you love. So I really believe that there is magic inside all of us, that we are all innately creative beings. We talk about that in this episode too. Emily thinks so as well. <laughs> um, so yeah, check out the creative support membership at the link in the description if you want some support and community too, healing support and community around developing a more nourishing relationship with your creativity and making your amazing stuff and sharing it with the world. Hope to see you in there and without further ado, here is my conversation with Emily Prentice. I'm so happy you're here. I would love to hear a little bit about your journey um, with your creativity, your journey as an artist that has brought you to this point. Yeah, so I always wanted to be making art. Like that's definitely something that was a large part of my childhood. It was really like this toss up between art and reading and, you know, spoiler alert, I'm a major zine maker now. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, that was something I always knew was going to be part of my life. So it wasn't really surprising whenever I chose that to study in school, whenever I chose that as a career. Um, the thread that keeps art in my life though, is this, this thing where like, concurrently as I was making this art, as I was coming into my own as a creative person, I was also having um, a lot of childhood trauma in my life. And those sort of things just kind of followed me um, all the way up into my adulthood. And whenever I really settled into art as my career, as my path, that was almost exactly at the same time that things were coming to a head as far as dealing with my childhood trauma, mm -hmm. dealing with an anxiety disorder that kind of came on as an adult. And art was a way where I really was able to to buoy myself, to kind of to kind of keep myself with my head above water as I was dealing with all of these complex issues in my life and my mental health kind of tanking. Um, and that took years and art was really a tether for me for years of time as I was going through some of these issues. And recently, as I feel like I'm in a place where like my mental health is a little bit more like integrated and stable and good to go, I've started understanding my art in a different way. And that's mm -hmm. when I moved into teaching art more. I was really interested in how this idea of like art as lightness, art as play could help other people in a way that it really helped me too. It's like, I'm not interested in art as play because I'm a naturally like very playful person. It's like, in fact, the exact opposite. It's like, I needed that. I needed that like structured container for my curiosity for like newness and for experiments in a time whenever, you know, things weren't going well for me. And now I want to try to share that with other people too. Yeah. Oh, 
I love that so much. Thank you for, for sharing. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea that you share and that I believe so much is true and feels related to what you're saying about art as play and using art to support yourself through a lot of healing and a lot of struggle. Um, the idea that everyone's an artist and there's no such thing as bad art. Can you talk about that a lot? <laughs> yes, I would love to talk about that a lot. I mean, I talk about that all the time at great length because I, you know, that is one of the many hills that I'm willing to die on. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> creativity is everyone's birthright. It's an innate part of being a human, that creative impulse. And that that concept of creation, that concept of creating something where there was once nothing is part of so many uh, symbols and structures and ways of being in our societies that that's it's everywhere and we don't always recognize that at art as art but it absolutely is and so being a human inherently means being a creator in some ways it means being a daydreamer it means like imagining things that don't exist yet and to try to run that through this binary through this like metric system of what is good and bad about creating is, you know, first off, it's beside like totally besides the point. But then secondly, it just, it seems like a boring way to measure this thing, this like impulse that happens to everyone. It's like, how much more exciting would it be if we told adults, told everyone the same way that we tell kids that we should all be making art, that we should all be like, you know, drawing or, you know, playing with Play-Doh or, you know, <laughs> trying to like go outside and notice something new. What if we prioritize that and grownups in the same way that we do with kids? I just, I feel like the world would be a different place, like a better place if we all honored the fact that we all have this impulse. So that's that's really where I, I always like intend to thinking with this everybody is an artist idea. It's not just that everybody needs to be making art all the time, but it's just that if everybody was willing to take on the role of the artist, at least for a little bit, then we'd be able to change some of these like structural issues that we have in our society. If everybody was mm -hmm. able to take a moment to create or to honor creating, then we can imagine these new ways of being. And that's really important. I mean, especially right now. Yeah. Um, I have kind of my own thoughts about this around like capitalism and gatekeeping, but I would love to hear your thoughts about like, why is it like this? <laughs> why do we why do we have a why do we have a world where um, we're kind of taught that some people are creative, some people are artists, and those people go to school and they make art and everyone else is just like boring and uncreative <laughs> and like you shouldn't try and make stuff because you're not good at it. Uh, yeah, so that's that's a really great question. Um, in capitalism, in productivity culture, the only thing that matters is the outcome it's the it's the final product it's mm. you know the thing that you've created the thing you've spent all this time on it's just that thing and not any of the context around it and that's something that we're very comfortable with in our society i think because we're we're so like groomed in this capitalistic system if productivity culture is the only metric that we have for measuring artwork then a lot of people's artwork is going to fail my artwork is going to fail in that metric. It is not always 100% successful. There's not always this tangible, reliable outcome to the stuff that I'm making. Um, and that's where a lot of people are comfortable, but that's also where, I mean, a lot of our problems lie and in all sorts of ways. It's not just an art, but it's like, you know, this whole, this whole burnout culture, this idea of, you know, uh, productivity as the only metric is something that artists deal with quite a bit. Um, and it inherently sets us up for hierarchies that I just don't think mm. need to be there. And you do see that a lot in art school culture too. And I have, I have a degree in art. It's not, um, I'm not coming at this from being like a folk artist by, by any means, but I see a lot of people that have been like picked over or like passed, passed by because they don't, have the skills that are 
considered fine art skills. Like they're not an oil painter, they're not a sculptor. And that's just another binary. That's just another hierarchy that's created because that's what people know to do whenever they're not trying to break out of that mold. So it's, it's really rough. It's, it's very real in our world for sure. Yeah. I remember you might've actually, I don't know if you were in this class or not, but Sarah um, at HBA had uh, like a scalable offers class and yeah, there were a bunch of people in there. There was like art school dropout roll call or art school, like trying to heal from art school. <laughs> Cause there were a lot of people in there who, yeah, were struggling with those kinds of things that you're talking about. And I'm like, I didn't go to art school, but now I'm, so I'm kind of coming at it from the other side of feeling like my poetry isn't enough. It's not good enough. It's not like accepted or whatever um, from by these, like, I don't know, kind of arbitrary standards, right. Of what's good or bad. And like, I don't actually think that, but I still, there's still like inklings of that in me, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I, I can see how there's kind of this thing where it's like, if someone else doesn't justify it, if someone else isn't like writing about your work, or if you haven't like gone through a class to get a certification and such and such, um, it's easy to feel like you're not doing enough. Like you're, you're somehow not good enough because you aren't like steeped in this like exact culture with these exact like certifications or this exact experience. And that's just, I mean, it's honestly like I, on the other side of that, that's nothing. That's, that's nothing. Yeah. I feel like my, um, my artwork, you know, not to put my own education on blast, but it's like, I feel like I've learned so much more just from being a human and existing on this planet when it comes to art than I ever did in an art class, because that's how you become an artist. It's you exist in this world and you mm -hmm. like experiment and you play and you notice things. And that's, I mean, as long as you can do that, that's really all you need. Yeah, that makes me think about what I always say about my own business degree. When people are like, oh, that must be so helpful for you having your own business. I'm like, literally not at all. Like, no, <laughs> the stuff you learn is just completely, completely different than what you need to know working for yourself. <laughs> um, but I feel like there's really something here in what you're sharing about that's about like orienting towards the process. Um rather than yeah orienting towards some outcome you might never get or like letting that not be the focus and the focus being like actually making the art and the experience of making it does that feel true absolutely yeah so the thing that I tell every single one of my students I think I have like drilled this into their heads <laughs> is that making art is not a noun like the idea of art is not a noun it's a verb it's that whole process of mm. creating a thing and what we need to focus on whenever we're making art isn't about what the final product looks like and in fact like I find that kind of the least interesting thing about making art more what we're trying to do anytime we sit down and make art is to document this moment, this exact moment that you're never, ever, ever going to get again. You're in this place, you're in this time, the stars above are in a certain way, the earth below is in a certain way, there's seasonal differences, <laughs> the moon is changing above you. All of this stuff can never be replicated exactly the same way again. And anytime you sit down to make art, it's a product of that. And mm. that is pretty darn cool. <laughs> That's pretty darn cool. Damn, wow, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty darn cool. <laughs> what you're saying is making me think about how magical to me creativity is and how engaging with my creativity and art, art as a verb, arting all over the place, <laughs> um, makes my life feel more magical. You know, like it makes it feel more special. It makes it feel more alive. Like I'm paying more attention and I'm actually like existing here more and engaging more with life in that process. And yeah, I guess I would love to hear a little bit from you about what your relationship with your creativity is like and what that like means to you in your life. Yeah, that's, that's such a good question. And it's so integrated at this point that it's like, mm. I'm going to have to like, take a, take a second and try <laughs> to pick apart like a couple pieces. It's like, where, where does the creativity stop? Um, because it really like, it generates with me, it keeps me going. Mm. So it's like running, like running art through my system. It's not, 
it's not so much like, oh, I'm such an artist. I'm making art all the time. It's more like, you know, <laughs> this is one of the primary functions that keeps me like moving as a human. Mm. Um, That's how I feel about being a witch. I'm not like sitting down and doing ritual like yeah. 24 hours a day. It's just like, it just is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause it is magic. It all, it all comes back to magic. And I, I kind of think like, with me, magic and art are almost like these simultaneous like mm. things that are that are happening and rituals, like artistic rituals, like sitting down at a certain time to draw a certain thing and having those kind of um, like reflective moments with my art. I feel like that's that's a place where I kind of tune in with my creativity. Um, I actually started something new. This has been my kind of goal for this new year where I'm taking a day of play every week mm. and so that's that's a way that I'm engaging with my practice in kind of a, a new way where today was my very first day of play and I just like <sighs> I spent all morning like thinking about this big project I want to work on that I kind of had to push to the side for like the more tangible to-do list the rest of the week then I like took a major nap which is so related to like creativity and play is like mm. good good rest you know um and it's it's all kind of interconnected in that way yeah, I mean, first of all, that sounds amazing. I feel inspired to take a day of play. <laughs> um, and can we talk about play a little bit? I'm just going to quote you back to you where you said on Instagram, play is resistance. It's a radical act of play. And I, I love that so much. So yeah, could you talk a little bit more about play and like why that is so important? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I think of all all art as being play and I think of essentially all play as being resistance and this is not some idea that like I had in a vacuum I, I was like really inspired after reading uh, Pleasure Activism which was edited mm -hmm. by Adrienne Marie Brown and um, this idea of like pleasure being resistance kind of morphed into play for me as well and it all ties back into this I guess there's two thoughts it all ties back into this productivity culture bit where it's like when we're relying on production to kind of move our lives along to have these like mm -hmm. tangible like always the same outcomes then play necessarily like bucks that but it changes that in a way um so making time for play is inherently like pushing back against a lot of those like capitalistic tendencies which is also like sometimes coded for things like white supremacy things like the patriarchy all of that so play kind of like interrupts these systems, the the status quo, because it drops you out of like your own worth within this particular particular like cultural structure. And then the other thing I would say about play being resistance is that we are in a time right now where I think a lot of us are scared a lot of the time. And that while like while obviously someone did not sit down and think oh you know let's let's scare them that will keep them like complacent or like complicit it works and like a, a lot of large overarching structures are in play that it's really helpful for all of them if we stay small in that way and playing while it isn't the opposite of being scared while it isn't the opposite of having fears or being afraid it's a yes and that can kind of start to spark our own collective like daydreaming our imagination, how we can start to think about a world that's different than the one that we're currently in. So play becomes really important for our own, like our own selves, for, for making sure that we are like not just tied in with this productivity of each day looking the same, us like completing certain tasks in order to be valued as a member of society. But then it's also like collectively, I feel like our combined creativity, our combined daydreaming is how we're going to actually be able to create lasting change. And mm -hmm. that makes play vital, like absolutely vital for that. Yeah, I think too um, about how part of capitalism and this productivity culture is like, we're also always supposed to be consuming, you know, like we're supposed to be good little consumers. We're always supposed to be buying to like, fill ourselves up and not realize how fucked up capitalism is and all of that and things like rest and pleasure and play and dreaming like 
those things can be free. Those things are not, you can't buy them at a store and engaging with those things is exactly what you were sharing. It's, um, it's resistance and it's helpful for us when we're thinking about how to actually change the world, which is probably why they're not valued and we're told not to do them. <laughs> yeah. If anyone is listening who is like, I don't know how to play, what would you say to them? How would you, yeah, help them start to connect with play? Yeah, so I would, um, I would share what I think play really is because I feel like it's made up of multiple things and that kind of changes from person to person. And for me, I feel like play is kind of this combo of curiosity and then noticing things um, and then this idea of experimentation. And then on top of all of that is this idea of novelty, of things changing, of there being like, you know, constantly new things being brought into play. So if someone was having trouble with that, I would suggest that they sit with one of those kind of subsections or create their own if they don't feel like personally connected to any of that um, and see if they can make like one tiny step forward with any of them. I, I think maybe... Um, noticing or novelty might be a like a good way for like beginner playful people to try to access that because novelty can be anything you see a sign for an ice cream cone you go get the ice cream cone and you weren't expecting to get it that's like an act of play too it doesn't all have to be art related to be play and eventually if you start taking enough of those small actions you take a second to look at the bird in the tree that you might have passed by before that's a little mm -hmm. act of noticing then eventually you're going to get there where you can kind of like tune into play as a more like focused creative act like it doesn't all have to be sitting down with a sketchbook looking at a blank page and being like what the hell am I <laughs> what the hell am I gonna do with this I have no idea you know it's just uh go buy yourself an ice cream cone that's my that's my big advice mm. that's my wisdom about that <laughs> I love that I will take that advice <laughs> I also think about like how riding my bike feels like play and that feels like connected to like inner child stuff. It reminds me of like biking around the neighborhood with my friends when I was a kid. And so when I'm like riding my bike to the park, that feels like play. It feels like I'm connecting with that part of myself. And like, maybe for me, it's just like, I turn down a different street that I don't usually go down. And that feels like, oh, it's so spontaneous. It's new, but it is. <laughs> or even like playing a board game or something. It's like, that's like classic. You play a game, but still it feels like, oh yeah, I used to do this all the time when I was a kid and it feels playful and light and like we're playing it for fun you know yeah that, I, that's such a great point because often the things that we loved when we were kids uh are the first things that help lead us back into this place as grown-ups too I I always loved to collage when I was a kid and so anytime I feel like really really stuck I pull out this giant old stack of National Geographic's I got when I was like 12 at an auction somewhere oh. and I just cut up pictures and you know glue them onto a piece of paper and it's not going anywhere it's like I'm not I think maybe that's an important thing too like tangent moment but it's like I'm not trying to sell that in any way you know um it's just an action that I'm doing for me that's connected directly to something that really like sparked my curiosity or like made me feel connected to something bigger. And that's really, really important. And I think actually, like you mentioning the bike, the, the thing that's most connected me to play recently, especially with everything kind of being so like shut down and the world seeming very small right now, it's been walking, especially in autumn, whenever I could go and like look at leaves falling down on the street, pick up leaves that I liked, oh my gosh, and like press them in my sketchbook. It's like classic, classic stuff that I would do when I was like six years old. And it's just like this combo of this isolation, this combo of this like shutdown of the larger world around us. There's less novelty than ever, but I think that means that the stuff that like does speak to us is even stronger these days. So yeah, walking's been been a huge part of the way that I play. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's just making me think about how for me this 
year of isolation with COVID and everything, it has just what you said, like it's made the small things feel more important. And like, in a way they are novel because I don't know that I was, even if it was here, I don't know that I was taking the time to really notice it or engage with it or really like stop and look at the cherry blossoms blooming in the tree and like smell them and touch the petals when things weren't so different so it's like it's still engaging with like that newness and kind of zooming in if that like putting the microscope on and being like oh what's actually here yeah totally and I like I am just actually putting this together like in real time right now how this like too much novelty like too much mm -hmm. sensory over overload like too many options could actually be like it could actually make it much harder to to zero in on uh, the playful just because you kind of get this like decision fatigue in advance of like there's so mm -hmm. there's so many things that I could be doing right now it's like where do I even begin so honestly like you know this has been a great time to kind of like start to to build that relationship with play because we have less less to do less less like bright shiny things but at the same time yeah it does make everything like just this tiniest stuff that much more like exciting and important and worth noticing yeah and like bringing your curiosity to it and you've mentioned curiosity a couple of times and i mean i think there's so much around curiosity that is just fascinating to me and when I think about curiosity like the fool card just comes up immediately and makes me think about like how the fool is that invitation well to me anyways the fool is that invitation to step into that place of more like curiosity the like what if the why not rather than that kind of not that fear and curiosity can't coexist I think they definitely can but less of that like well here's why not and like here's the worst thing that could happen and I'd just be curious to hear <laughs> anything you want to share around curiosity or like I don't know cultivating a more curious mindset maybe yeah that's the fool is my absolute favorite card first off so love like, it <laughs> nail on the head right there like, so good my favorite like, because yeah it's exactly that it's exactly that like you know that playfulness that like why not that how does this work and it is something that can take a whole life to cultivate or like inversely you can just let go of the idea of like cultivating curiosity and like um wait for the right thing to come to you because i think that mm. happens i feel like um with art that's that's definitely where like my my curiosity started i started asking questions about like how art is related to feminism which led to like how art is related to like intersectionality and then that made me start to think oh well you know um the way that i was taught art history isn't necessarily aligned with any of these things how does art relate to art history when it comes to people that did not get their art stories told and it, it kind of one thing will happen and if you just follow that thread far enough it starts to open up so many more doors. So it's it's one of those things, this doesn't feel like a great like answer. There's not really a how-to for how to like be more curious. You just have to like take the tiniest thing. If you like ever have a prick of like, I wonder how that works. I wonder who that is. Like just follow that until you can't follow that chain of thought anymore. And that's that's kind of how I've been able to approach curiosity. And all that being said too, I had a major slump um, when it came to like my own curiosity, when I felt like I have all of these metrics, which are not necessarily metrics for anyone else. But for me, it means things like, like reading, like learning new things. Like, you know, um, I create a lot of mind maps and try to connect information in different ways. And I, I feel like that's a way that I stay curious in getting outside. All of those things might look different for different people, but I did notice a slump there for several years, whenever I was burnt out from work, whenever I was trying to work a job and be in school at the same time, um, whenever my mental health was not the best and it just kind of tanked. And I just want to make sure to acknowledge that that's, 
that's so real and that's gonna that's gonna happen at various stages throughout um, anyone's life and not having the energy to ask like who what when where and why like right the second doesn't mean you're not able to like cultivate curiosity in the future it's just like let let yourself rest and then let it happen because it, it will it will come back mm, yeah thank you for that reminder and I feel like in my opinion anyways that we are naturally curious beings you know and when I find myself getting kind of stuck it's like it's not even that I'm not curious it's that those little voices that want to shut me down are coming in they're like that's stupid or like why you know why do you want to explore or like that's scary like those kinds of things coming in it's kind of like it's easier to stay the same um than it is to like explore um and yeah I have worked very hard to not listen to those and continue to um but I think that's part of it too with curiosity and I think some threads that are coming together now as we're talking about this too is like how curiosity is supported by orienting more towards that process and outcome you know like there's more freedom to be curious and to explore when we're not thinking like if I explore, I don't know, if I explore embroidery, like I'm doing now, then I need to become an embroiderer and I need to sell embroidery. Like I can just do it, you know, does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. Yeah. When we get so tied to the way that things should be, then we're naturally taking a risk anytime we look into something further because (laughs) it might not be the way we think it should be. And uh, if we remove that, if we like, but that's the other part of being curious too. It's like, curiosity about the outcome versus uh, fear about the outcome. And then their curiosity as the driving force to even ask the question. So I guess there's really two parts to that system. And so you might be, you might have the question, but if you're not ready to know what the answer is yet, then that can kind of like not, not finish that whole cycle of curiosity. But yeah, I can totally see um, how that would be. It's really scary to ride the wave and to not have everything look the same all the time. And of course, nothing looks the same ever. And there, there's a million possible outcomes to any given situation for every little tiny thing that we do. But when we go poking the bear, I guess, like I think that's what some <laughs> people are afraid of is like, if you, yeah. what happens if you like poke the bear, what's going to happen afterwards? And I guess to that, it's it just has to be said that like everything's changing all the time anyway. So like Mm -hmm. asking the question and getting the answer doesn't change, change. Yeah. I mean, I have this quote on my wall. I'm sure you know it from Octavia Butler. It's like the only lasting truth is change. God is change. And I mean, can't say it better than that. Like, that's just true. That's it. Right. Yep. That that's completely it. Yeah. That, um, Octavia Butler's thoughts about adaptability and change, I think really like have influenced the way that I make art big time. Cause there's, mm. yep, there's, there's nothing but change out there. And the second we can kind of commit to that or, or at least like accept that in some way, the, the easier it's going to be to go, to go play, to go get curious, mm. to, to start noticing, um, noticing because we want to but also because everything is constantly in flux so if we don't see it now like ooh, it might it might change you know yeah and like (laughs) sometimes when I when I think about that and when I hear that I'm like oh there's pressure like I need (laughs) I need to never miss the opportunity of like noticing the way the sun comes in the window but also I don't want to miss it (laughs) you know like (laughs) also no need for pressure but also I don't want to miss it and it is beautiful and it is special um to yeah to continue to notice as the world is changing all around us and to be part of that because we're changing too right even if the sun did look exactly the same it's like I'm gonna be different in that moment oh I love that yeah that just that that really hit me yeah it's like we we are never the same either it's we're constantly in flux and moving and so many different people at the same time yeah it's it's definitely, it's definitely hard. Cause I, I'm like you, I want to suck every sweet, like <laughs> second out of this life that I possibly can. And to, to the point that sometimes it's maddening that I have to like sleep or that I have to, you know, <laughs> I like literally have to take moments of brain break where it's like, I, I watch TV for a bit or I like scroll on my phone. Those are like 
those moments just feel so wasted sometimes and yet they're like oh a crucial function to like letting other things be <laughs> like letting other things be magical by having those like moments of the mundane at the same time yeah I need to hear that because you are speaking to me if I watch like one episode of tv I'm like I'm wasting my life existential crisis <laughs> <laughs> Yep, I feel I feel that so much. It's like if every second of my day is not like in part of this like big journey that like you know should have like swells of music behind it or something. <laughs> like, you know, it's like why am I folding my socks right now when I could be like climbing a mountain somewhere or like learning how to play like a ukulele or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but you gotta yeah. you gotta fold your socks. You, you do. You, you do have to fold your socks. <laughs> Or at least you have to wash them. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's, yeah, 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 definitely. But really, like, to me, I think that's why it feels so important to, like, let creativity and let magic be woven in and not something you sit down and do, right? Like, when you said folding socks, I thought cooking, you know, you have to feed yourself, you know? And I'm like, but I feel like cooking can also be a creative process for me when I'm there for it and I can really enjoy it. And it does feel kind of magical, but it not so much if I'm just kind of like, I don't know, like zoned out or like watching a TV show while I cook or something like that. If I'm like really with it, then it can be. So even like the kind of boring stuff of life that like makes up our existence, we can also bring some of that to it, I think. Maybe not all the, all the time, but sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, sometimes a mundane task is just a mundane task. But I was making lunch maybe a couple days ago, and I cut up these red onions to put on a tray. And just the color of the red onion, which is more of like this purpley, mixed with the shape that it was making from the way that I cut it, which was kind of this like arch rainbow shape. I was like, this is, this is art. This is it. Like I couldn't do this better if I was like trying to make this happen. It's like, why is this my aesthetic right now? But it's so true. It's like, sometimes there's just those, those moments of like almost arresting beauty that come from, you know, trying to make like a rice bowl, oh <laughs> uh, you know, on a Tuesday. Okay. That is so resonant. Literally the other day I like had these strawberries and I was like, I want to chop them up and eat them with a fork. And in my head, I was like, no, just eat them. That's dumb. And I was like, no, I really want to chop them up and eat them in a bowl with a fork. And then I did, and they looked so beautiful and they just tasted so good. And I just really enjoyed it, you know, and it's like so simple, but why not give that to myself? Why not just cut up the strawberries and let them be pretty and look at them being pretty? <laughs> yeah. And that's play. I mean, bring it full circle. Yeah. That's like, that's all that play is. I brought some novelty to your strawberries and it made you happier. You know, that's, that's mm. really it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that full circle connection. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would kind of love to hear if you feel like sharing, if there's anything, I'm just curious from what we're talking about, if there's anything right now that you're kind of playing with or experimenting with in terms of just life or art specifically, or yeah, like anything that's feeling new that you're kind of playing with, maybe even being bad at, <laughs> bad <laughs> quotes. Yes. Yeah. Actually, um, I have a major thing that I am feeling a lot of like bad in a good way about, which is that I'm starting to study art history more. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that sounds, that sounds like a snooze fest. That does not sound very <laughs> playful at all, but I'm, I'm exclusively like, I'm really, really interested in um, art history as like the stories of artists that have gotten lost mm -hmm. and um, the ways that most of the art history that we learn is Eurocentric. The the canon for art history is almost exclusively like cis straight white dudes. Um, and I'm playing right now with learning, <laughs> learning a lot about um, people that have existed without much recognition for their artwork mm -hmm. and maybe sometimes like thought of as not even artists in some ways. And I'm trying to come up with ways to share that information with as many people as possible in interesting exciting ways that doesn't feel like a lecture in a class because I don't think the bad art history lectures that are like perpetuating like white supremacy are going to be the things that get us <laughs> that get us out of that you know out of that yeah. same school so I am 
I feel so bad at that because I don't have any background in it, any scholarly background at all. And of course, it's it seemed at least up to this point that like having the scholarly background has not helped so much. I, I have an art degree and I only have ever gotten the, the canon. Um, but at the same time, it's something I'm really experimenting with in a new way. And right now I'm working on putting together my actually, and it should be just about ready to come out by time this podcast interview comes oh, out. Yay. Yeah, I'm putting together a, um, a kind of art book, like a, a zine, but in a really interesting way of some stories of these people that don't get mm. told as often in art history classes. So that was a big mm. part of my play day today was just figuring out interesting ways to like share this information and um, how to how to get out of those those structures that kind of like kept art history to this one subsect of people like how to not fall into those structures again as I'm trying to teach alternate art history so mm -hmm. it, I mean it sounds like that doesn't sound like super super like playful or exciting but it is so exciting for me I cannot wait like to share that information with everybody because it's, it's so important and you know yeah. the people who hold the stories are the people that have the power and I just mm. I, I worry about people getting lost that should be in any sort of like respectable art canon. Yeah, wow, I'm so glad you're doing that. I'm definitely gonna be following along, maybe tagging my cousin who is in an art history PhD right now. <laughs> and has talked to me about, yeah, those very same issues. And that's just making me think about too, like um, how one of the things that from creeping on you for a while, I understand is important to you. <laughs> of making art accessible for everyone. And um, I went through a big phase where I really was obsessed with street art. And I mean, I still love street art. I think it's amazing. Um, but for one of those big reasons being like, it's not something that you have to go pay to go into a museum to see that has been like chosen or dictated as worthy by someone else, but like anyone can do it as a form of expression and anyone can see it for free and it can make communities beautiful. Um, yeah, and that just feels related to you sharing the art history that we don't get taught. Yeah, that's, I mean, that really, public art is the other side of everybody is an artist where it's like everyone is an artist so we should all have equal access to their work. But then also like everybody can be like an audience. Everybody can be like a participant in viewing art too. and. It really, it's, I mean, it's so important. Not everybody has equal access to art, like based on like stuff that seems so arbitrary as like the money that they make or like their access to an internet connection or, you know, the places that they find to live in. You know, I, it's, yeah, public art is incredibly, incredibly important to, to everyone being an artist, to everyone having access to um, art, which is crucial if you want to, change people's minds or like get people to see other points of view it's it's important for empathy and also for getting people to like adapt and be open to change yeah yeah and I think for people too to connect with how important art is because I know from knowing my parents and going to public school and these kinds of things that like not everyone thinks that they value art or even understands that a lot of the things that they are connected to and consume and really enjoy art art like they're not making that connection between art being important and like public art and talking about these things and making art accessible feels like part of helping with that yeah yeah i mean art is world building and you know we all have to i mean we all exist in a world right now that's maybe not so great to most people frankly, like most people are not able to thrive in the world that we live in. So the more like the more people can make that connection where it's like, okay, yeah, the things you're viewing on TV, that's that's world building in a way. And when you read a book, that's that's building a world. And then if enough people can start to see that in all of the media that they're consuming, then maybe they can start building their own world too. It's absolutely mm. important. So important. Oh, I love this conversation so much. <laughs> Oh, you're amazing. Talking with you. This is wonderful. 
This is so wonderful. I'm I'm so happy you're here. But I got to ask you the last question I always ask on the show. And I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. No pressure, but I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> Which is just, what does living open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? How does that feel? Yeah, I knew this one was coming. So I was, <laughs> I was thinking about it actually while I was on my, my daily, like noticing things. Oh. And it, to me, that that action of like, walking of having my headphones in and listening to music I enjoy of noticing that started to to feel right in my understanding of like what living open is Mm -hmm. it's like this idea like this knowledge that there are infinite possibilities that there's a million things that could potentially happen in like in any given second and learning to to ride that wave instead of resist it that to me feels so important for being open it's like you're opening yourself and your your expression uh, especially like your creative expression to the world but when you open yourself the world comes back into you too and being ready ready for that i think is just everything yeah it's i'm not i'm not there 100 percent of every day but but when i get there when i'm when i'm walking with my headphones in when i see a cool leaf when i eat an ice cream cone a spontaneous ice cream cone a spontaneous (laughs) ice cream cone it's you know that's that's when i'm living open oh i love that the world comes into you too that feels really beautiful to receive um can you tell everyone all of the good things where they can find you, connect with you, maybe anything else that you have going on that they might want to know about? Yeah, so I'm uh, easiest to get a hold of on Instagram and I'm at waywarddaughter.space there, which is also coincidentally the name of my website. And then I also have um, another Instagram for my itty bitty online art school that I run called at Playground Art School. And that is going to be opening up again soon-ish for new students. We're kind of taking the winter to like pause and breathe and like try on new types of content and then we'll be back again. Um, we would love to have you in in quote unquote art school with us. We have a, <laughs> you know <laughs> a Discord uh, server and we just all like chat with each other. We have weekly lessons that are no pressure all based on this process, not this outcome. And that's really the big thing that I want to be doing in 2021 is building that school. I, I really like, I want to be teaching people how to play and, you know, about these artists they may, might not have heard of and, you know, all of these different ways of being. So that's really what I'm focusing almost all of my energy on this year. Amazing. So freaking cool. I was hoping you were going to say that. I was going to say it if you didn't. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for being here. It was really, really fun to talk to you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. No, this was the best conversation. Thank you (laughs) for inviting me. I like, you know, I had such a great time talking with you. Thank you for being here, friends. I hope this episode inspired you a bit to play a little or explore your curiosity a little or make some art. Um, And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave five stars on your podcast platform or even write a review. It is a much, much appreciated way to be in exchange with the podcast and support an indie podcast. Definitely check out Emily's Playground Art School and amazing, amazing little art history book that I'm going to link in the description as well. And check out creative support. Hopefully I'll see you inside and I'll be back on Monday with another interview. So stay tuned, stay in touch. I'll see you then.